0: Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could be with us today. I've been married for 27 years, happily married, but I recognize marriage is not for everyone. In fact, many of my closest friends are divorced or have never been married. Marriage is in decline across the country. The share of people who have never been married has doubled since 1960. Divorce is also on a downward trend. Overall, the rush to the altar has slowed down. People are waiting to get married much later in life. Some are waiting until they're in their 40s or much older. We also know that August marked the 10th anniversary of same-sex marriage in Minnesota. All of this has me thinking about who is deciding to get married these days and who isn't and why. What has changed? So today, we're going to listen back to a conversation I had with two marriage experts about marriage trends. We'll talk about why some adults are waiting to tie than not, and we'll look at which generation is more likely to end a marriage through separation or divorce. My guests for the hour included a marriage therapist as well as a biological anthropologist who does research on relationships and love. Dr. Bill Doherty is a marriage therapist and professor in the Department of Family Social Science in the College of Education and Human Development at the University of Minnesota. His areas of focus include marriage and divorce. Helen Fisher is a biological anthropologist and a senior research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and chief science advisor to the online dating site Match.com. She holds a PhD in biological anthropology and studies sex drive, romantic love, attachment, rejection, love addiction, and more. Helen has written books on the evolution and future of human partnerships. Now, I started my conversation by asking Helen about her personal love story. She's in her late 70s and recently got married. Helen just tied the knot a couple of years ago when she was 75 years old. I asked her if people should be surprised when we hear about someone getting married At 75.
1: I think people are surprised. I mean, the New York Times covered it. The Today Show covered it. Uh, I mean, people keep saying to me, well, it gives them hope, you know. I mean, I had, Angela, I had opportunities, a lot of opportunities to marry. And so I'm one of those people who just chose to live with the partner. Uh, We were totally dedicated to each other. I've done it with two other men. And after 18 years with one man and after almost 30 with another um you know we sort of separated uh times had changed and uh we moved on so i certainly had the opportunities to marry and i think a lot of people do but and i'm not positive i would have married this man he asked me to i mean i'm crazily in love with him i'm (laughs) madly in love with him and have been for nine years and we've lived together and i didn't really see the point of marriage i was going to leave him anything that i got but um I ask him all the time now, how is this different, sweetheart? And he always says, it's richer and deeper. And that's what it is for him. For me, it is just a very solid partnership that I've had before with other people, but one that is a marriage. I got a better name, Tierney, instead of Fisher, and <laughs> I'm very happy with it. <laughs> it's all
0: good. And, and I've I've read, I've heard you say this, that you believe that, that people that we are built to love
1: Absolutely, yes. You know, I've put, uh, I and my colleagues have put over 100 people into the brain scanner using fMRI, and we've found the brain circuitry of romantic love and, and and feelings of deep attachment to a partner, those two basic brain systems, and those brain systems evolved millions of years ago. You know, the the basic factories that generate feelings of romantic love and feelings of attachment lie way below the cortex where you do your thinking, way below limbic regions in the brain associated with the emotions. It, these are Drives, they're basic mating drives that evolved millions of years ago to drive us to form a partnership and send our DNA into tomorrow. So, in fact, um, feelings of romantic love, uh, the basic uh, brain um, pathway lies right next to the pathway that orchestrates thirst and hunger. I mean, thirst mm-hmm. and hunger keep you alive today, and this drive to love somebody um, Drives you to form a partnership and send your DNA into tomorrow. So, even though people are marrying later, they're still making partnerships, and they certainly always will.
0: Mm, it's 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 natural and and it, it's good. Bill, uh, you've been married fifty two years, so uh, you've seen a, a lot of changes uh, in in marriage and why people choose to get marriage. But married, but what is what stands out to you about what's different today than than, than fifty two years ago when when couples were getting married?
2: Well, people are getting married later in the United States than they were then. Um, if you were a 24-year-old 24, a 24 woman in 1971 and single, they were starting to talk about old maid territory, mm. you know, that old expression. Right. And so one, one of the things the sociologists say is that uh, marriage used to be the cornerstone of adult life, that you got married uh, and you, you didn't have many resources and you, you, you built the resources together. Mm-hmm. And now, uh, for many people, it's become uh, the capstone. In other words, they, they want to finish their education, they want to they have a job, maybe they have, you know, they, they have a house, they want to establish a life in mm-hmm. some way and then get married. That's a big shift, which means they're getting married later, if and- at all, if at all.
0: And so how does that impact dating then?
2: Well, it means that there's a long extended period of, uh, of trying out different relationships, uh, mm-hmm. you know, living with, with maybe somebody and then somebody else. Um, and so it, um, it, it, it used to be that dating, uh, once you were seriously dating, you were looking for a mate. And that, that has really changed quite a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. And then when you date, I mean, you risk getting wounded.
2: Yes, of course, of course. Uh, particularly if you live with somebody, mm-hmm. it's harder to get out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Uh So there, so there is. Uh, so people have had more uh, breakups by the if, time if they you, get married. But, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which you know, which could be good or bad, uh, but but they have more breakups.
0: Um, Helen. We have seen uh, people delaying marriage now until their 40s, some not marrying at all. Uh, I think the the, the, research, the Pew Research Center uh, looked at some U.S. Uh, census data. It shows that as of 2021, 25% of 40-year-olds in the United States had never been married. Um, why do you think that is?
1: Well, I think that uh, Bill is absolutely right. The younger putting themselves together before they put the uh, partnership together. Mm-hmm. But you know, I call it slow love and in many respects as as Bill said, it has both good and bad uh, issues to it, but I, you know, people are not marrying in their 20s the way they were, you know, in the 1970s. Uh, I mean, I think the average period of of um uh, of marriage now is it's uh, age 28 or 29 for women and in the early 30s for men. And a lot are marrying a lot later. And what I I call it slow love. What What is slow love? What is slow love? You know, slow love. I've written quite a bit about this. And, um, it's really the extension of the pre-commitment stage. And what they're doing is, well, first of all, about uh, 25% are still living at home in their 20s. a little hard to get married and try people out. If you're living at home, they're putting their careers together. They're getting their finances together. They're finishing their job, I mean, getting a new job and getting their education put together. But they're also learning a great deal about themselves, who they are, what they want, what they don't want. They're trying people out uh and um and uh and 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 i i think that's good i, I really do i mean i i'm regularly actually not in the good bad business but there is a lot of data i've looked at the demographic yearbooks of the united nations in 80 cultures as data from 1947 i collected data from 1947 to 19 uh, to 2011 and as it turns out the later you marry i mean the longer you court and the later you wed the more likely you are to remain together and there's some data in the United States of 3,000 people that people who court for uh, one to two years before marrying are 20% less likely to divorce, and people who court for uh, uh, over three years are 39% less likely to divorce. So we're seeing them marry later, and I honestly think that these there's every reason to think that these marriages are going to uh, be more stable, Uh, and Mm -hmm. that we may even be looking forward to a few decades of relative family stability.
3: Mm.
0: Uh, Bill, what are your thoughts about people living together before getting married, and
2: and what does the research reveal about that? Yeah, well, there's uh, a...
1: Bill might,
0: yeah. Yeah, Bill, uh, answer that for me. Yeah,
2: yeah well, it gives me a chance to, to say that there is a myth, widely believed, that living together, cohabitation, uh, it, uh, will help you prevent getting divorced. In other words, you know, <clears throat> you're trying out the car before you, know, right. b- you, you mm-hmm. t- test drive the car. And there is absolutely no uh, research support for that. Uh, and there have been many, many studies um, that cohabitation, people who live together before they get married uh, are um, people who do not live together are no more likely to get divorced than those who do live together.
0: I have to sit with that for a minute because it makes sense to me that you would less, less, you know, you seem to be a nice person, but let me live with you and see if I can live with you. But there's no evidence to show that that helps.
2: No, no. And there've been lots of studies. In fact, the only debate in the field is whether uh, cohabitation uh, is a risk factor for divorce, and the research there, and it proves, proving cause and effect is always hard in this kind of research, but um, if, but people who have um, lived with a number of people and then live with somebody without an engagement, in other words, they're living with somebody and they don't have a plan to marry, uh, they're at somewhat higher risk of divorce later. Now, whether that is a cause and effect is is debated, but there is zero evidence that cohabitation is a protective factor for divorce. Simply, there's no research support for it, but widely believed.
0: Wow, that, I, I, that's news to me. Helen, what do you think about that? Have you seen that as
2: well?
1: I have I've certainly heard that. Uh, and just like Bill says, it's hard to do cause and effect things. I mean, for example, mm-hmm. you know, divorce rate, and Bill, yeah, I might get this wrong. Uh, I, I've always read that divorce was highest in the Bible Belt. Uh, and it was because they marry very young, uh, without a great deal of experience and without living together first. And, and so, and they're marrying because they are religious and, and they don't want to have sex before marriage. And so there's all these complications, um, on this, but, uh. I completely agree. that uh, It does seem odd, Angela, I really do, because you would really would think that people <laughs> uh, would like to spend a good deal of time with each other before they tie the knot, but uh, that is what we are seeing with people really are marrying much later in these long periods of courtship, mm-hmm. but not necessarily living together during that courtship.
0: And I, I read, Helen, uh, that Uh, you and your husband, you maintain two homes. So tell me about, you know, not moving in in together and, and I guess in that maybe having not so much time together.
1: We spent an enormous amount of time together. We're madly in love with each other. (laughs) When he invited me to marry him, I I said, I'll marry you, but I'm not moving in. And and so bottom line is, you know, people live in small apartments in New York, and Mm -hmm. mine is a nice place. It's largely my office now. And a couple nights a week, it's called L.A.T., living apart together. It seems to be a new thing. Mm. And a couple nights a week, I'm in my own apartment. I'm going out to the theater with my girlfriends in the evening, And I'm getting up when I feel like, taking my speed walk when I feel like, et cetera, et cetera. I talk to him every night as soon as I get in. We talk for over an hour. And he loves to uh, spend his evenings reading and and doing his work. He's a a journalist and and writes books and then by wednesday night we get together and we spend a very romantic 5 days together and then i come back to my apartment but he'll come in and spend the night with me so we're in constant touch i don't think that living apart together is for everybody you got to really trust the person um and um, you, and you need the solitude and we're both writers. I, I need some of that solitude. And so it works perfectly well as long as everybody agrees. <laughs> I've seen some people where, you know, the woman wants more time with her girlfriends and the man really doesn't want that. He's not quite sure she's going out with girls instead of boys, et cetera. You've got to trust each other. You've got to understand. You've got to want to build the partnership. And, and that's exactly what we're doing. So the beauty, I think, now these days is you can have all kinds of different partnerships. I mean... Uh, not only do we have gay marriage, but people are trying out polyamory and and swinging and this kind of thing. The vast majority of people will come back to a a profoundly historically or prehistoric uh, uh, form of partnership, which is marriage or settling in personally with just one person. But I like the idea that these days you can build the kind of partnership that you want and
0: That's what we've done. If you're just joining us, we're talking about the latest trends in marriage and in divorce. My guest this hour, we have Dr. Bill Doherty, who is a marriage therapist and a professor at the University of Minnesota who uh, studies marriage and divorce. And we're also talking to Dr. Helen Fisher, who is a senior research fellow at the Kinsey Institute, as well as the chief science advisor to the internet dating site match.com. We'll hear more about uh, their research and uh, the stats out there right now in a moment. But first, I want to talk to some of our listeners. Let's Bring in uh, some of our callers in Minneapolis. Bree is on the phone. Good morning, Bree. What do you want to share with us about marriage?
4: Uh, hi, yeah. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Huge fan of the show. Um, it's great being on. Um, I just wanted to share that it's. Um, I'm 31 years old. I've never been married. I haven't tried dating since college, so nearly 10 years. Um, I'm right now. I just bought a house with a friend. We're living together. Um, and it's been really great instead of you know I've been focusing on figuring out myself I found out that I'm a a asexual trans woman and that just like the idea of marriage isn't something that gives me anything that I need in my life I found a lot more calm just you know having a lot of good friends having a friend that I live with and not worrying about you know looking for that like supposed perfect person who I don't even know if they exist.
0: Mm. And then so you're perfectly comfortable that this may never be part of your life. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I realized years ago that it's just not something I ever felt that I needed. Right.
0: It's not for everybody. Thank you. That's Bree in Minneapolis. Uh, in Shakopee, let's talk to Sam. Good morning, Sam. What do you want to tell us about marriage?
5: Yep. So I'm 35. Um, I've been with my partner now for five, six years. We bought a house Sold it, built a house, then we are not married. We do plan on it at some point. What seems to be the big roadblock um, is student loans. (laughs) And um, the millennial generation, you know, we kind of got hit hard with that. You'll hear in some other news outlets how our first mortgage is our student loans and then our second mortgage is the house. Um, And contractually, the things I've seen with student loans, if God forbid, anything was to happen and the divorce was to crop up. Getting uncontracted from someone else's student loans is the most bureaucratic nightmare you'll ever go through. Um, Also, I'm the youngest in my family, youngest grandchild, youngest uh, sibling. And so I've watched a lot of my older cousins and siblings try the marriage thing. Some have been very successful. Some have, but most have ended in divorce. Um, And so from watching them and watching what kind of a headache it is, I've really taken my time and been really particular Um, earlier you were talking about, um, establishing careers is a bit more of a, a drive for young people these days and that the marriage becomes the capstone. And Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. Um, I would say a lot of people in my generation, um, do hold off on the marriage so they can get the college or get the career set up or get some sort of like regular life set up. And also in my generation, I don't think I know one other millennial who left home and never came back. Um most millennials at some point in their 20s, maybe 30s, had to go back to living with their parents and that's kind of hard to have a relationship with somebody when you, you live with mom and dad again, you know. So right. can- <laughs> um that's that's kind of another big driving factor I would say is finances
0: mm-hmm. is a big
1: one on our generation.
0: Thank you that Sam and Shakopee and earlier Bria Minneapolis. Um Helen anything that, that you want to say about what you heard in those stories?
1: I, I think Sam has absolutely gotten it, absolutely correct. I mean, a huge percentage are living at home. They're focused on, the, I'm really impressed with the millennials, frankly. They're very career-oriented. Uh, and they want to get an awful lot of their, their finances, their, their work, their uh, right, and before they take on marriage. You know, it's interesting, because I'm chief science advisor to Match, and uh, I've been at for 18 years, and I do an annual study called Singles in America. And I've done it for 12 years. I and my colleagues uh, cook up about 200 questions and, uh, and match polls. them out. We do not poll match members. It has nothing to do with match. So we use a national representative sample of singles based on the U.S. census. And one of the times I asked, you know, why aren't you marrying? And you can, uh, you know, check the boxes. And uh, 40% of singles in their 20s said they didn't want to marry yet because they wanted, first, self-acceptance. Now, that is, it's very grown up. Frankly, I'm not positive if anybody ever does really get, get self-acceptance. It, it does mm-hmm. seem to be like a, a self-made barrier that people should probably... Uh, be,
0: Less hard know. on themselves about that. Yeah, self-acceptance.
1: But the bottom line is, I i, I think that Sam is, has, has summed it up. Uh, uh, but, but Sam, I don't know if Sam will marry it. Uh, I mean... What he just said was very interesting about the rules of marriage. I mean, maybe part of our problem, I haven't thought of this, but part of our and probably Bill has, uh, is that, um, you know, when you marry somebody, taking on their debt is Mm. quite a... That's not romantic.
0: That doesn't sound fun.
1: ...embracing issue. Right, that's serious. (laughs) And so maybe we should, maybe, you know, at least some states or something could make it... You know people say, "Well, if you make it easier to divorce and everybody 's going to divorce that 's nonsense if you 're in a happy partnership you 're not going to divorce, even if it 's very, very simple so i 'm wondering if it, if we shouldn 't begin to consider making some of these legal um, you know, roadblocks,
0: um, uh, less of roadblocks. Okay, a lot to, to consider here. Uh, Bill, what are you seeing as some of the, the, the struggles that couples go through um, that end up ending their marriage? Is this economic uh, distress, is that part of uh, the deterrent? Like, right? why people don't want to get married. Yeah, yeah, for some yeah. it is. And I
2: think this is a good time to also say that for uh, lower income couples, uh, there are substantial barriers uh, in terms of a welfare policy, taxes. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, there are couples who are living together who, who are struggling to make it financially. Uh, and if they marry... Mm -hmm. Their tax burden goes up quite a lot, Uh, so so we've been mostly thinking, uh, talking about sort of college educated folks and you know careers and so on. But at at the other uh, part of the the economic ladder, uh, 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 there are serious barriers to making that lifetime commitment based on the the loss that people will have in terms of welfare and also in terms of taxes.
0: And. We know what we're seeing with divorce, which also surprises me. The rate, uh, rates for divorce uh, declining. How long has that been going on? Because I've been living with the assumption we're like, oh, everybody's getting divorced, but that's yeah. actually not true.
2: Yeah, the last 15 or 20 years, the divorce rate among college-educated people in particular has plummeted it's it's down to where it was you know 40 years ago the divorce rate for working class and lower income couples has not changed that much but so we're seeing and this is one of the big trends in family demography is a separation of the college educated who who have who wait to marry before they have children. We haven't talked about children yet. We ought to get them in here because they're, they're tied up with, with mm-hmm. marriage. Um, but the college-educated folks uh, are generally waiting to get married before they have children. They're forming two-parent families much more stable than 30 or 40 years ago. Uh, Working-class and lower-educated in- folks are uh, increasingly having children before they marry, and then forming complex families at that point, okay, yes. with, once they get married. And their divorce rates are, are still at very high levels. So um, the, the, the rich are getting richer in terms of the benefits of marriage.
0: And we're also hearing this term, gray divorce, gray divorce. Uh, why would a couple married for so long and late in life decide to end their marriage? I, I learned a friend of mine uh, in her mid-70s, you know, I asked about her husband, and, and she's like, we're divorced. I was like, Wow. Like, what can you tell us about gray divorce, Bill?
2: Um, well, uh, there's lots of ways to think about it. My own interpretation is that it's the, the baby boomers of the gray, the gray generation now. And baby boomers uh, it brought on the divorce revolution, okay, in many ways. And so they're just continuing. As baby boomers get older, they're continuing fairly high divorce rates. The generations f- uh, following them uh, are having lower divorce rates, so that's that's my if 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 the purpose of marriage is individual happiness, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and in an individualistic society, and as Helen said, if like self acceptance, self fulfillment, if that's the if that's everything, mm-hmm. okay, uh, then when it isn't working out for you, and you're part of a generation where you say, hey, let's exit if it's not working out then I think that, for me, that's, that's why we have the great divorce.
0: But that has to send shockwaves through families. Oh, because absolutely. Because they would have adult grandchildren oh, who are married. Like, what? Grandma and grandpa are getting
2: a divorce? Yeah. Well, one of the big myths about the divorce is that if the kids are gone, if the kids are 18 or 21, you know, no big deal if you don't have minor kids in the family. When you've got a 40- or 50-year marriage ending, it's like the mighty oak tree in the town square <laughs> falling.
0: <laughs> that's what it feels like, I'm yeah. sure. All right. Helen, what would you say about gray divorce? Well,
1: I'm not surprised at all. I mean, marriage or forming partnerships, forming pair bonds, evolved millions of years ago in order to raise your children uh, through infancy to adulthood. I mean, that was the Darwinian the evolutionary purpose uh, of this. And uh, these days we're living a lot longer. Um, you know, a huge trend is women piling into the job market. So a woman in her 60s or 70s now... Uh, is likely to have her own money, her own career, mm-hmm. uh, much of her own, you know, um, a network of friends and family, mm-hmm. uh, or friends, and uh, so it's not so onerous to divorce. I mean, I mean, looking back at Jane Austen's day, or or Trollope or one of them, I mean, a woman didn't have any financial stability. Uh, uh, you know, she was it was dependent on her husband entirely, and today uh, they're not. And it's very interesting, in ancient Rome, they changed the, they changed the rules, uh, apparently prior to uh, this, um, if a woman married a man, um, all of her family money went to her husband, not to her. And apparently the ancient Romans uh, changed it so that a woman could retain her own money, divorce sword. So I honestly do think in, our, in, our, in our, these days when uh, both men and women can survive uh, very happily with, uh, with friends and doing all kinds of other things without the marriage, they've had their children, they've sent their DNA on into tomorrow, and they're thinking they're going to live for quite a while, uh, maybe another 20 years, and um, they see you know, other people around them who are happy, and they see alternatives. I mean, look at all these dating sites for older people. Uh, and, and they say, well, why not me?
0: Remember, if you miss any of our live shows at 9 a.m., you can always listen to the podcast for the program. My guest and I explore a variety of topics like the growing popularity of pickleball and interviews with fascinating Minnesotans you should know about because of the work they do in our state that has an impact. I also talk about climate change, mental health, education, and entertainment. Plus, there is my new Power Pair series. You can listen to any of the episodes by searching for NPR News with Angela Davis wherever you get your podcasts. And then listen when it's convenient for you. Now, back to the conversation about the latest trends in marriage and divorce. We're listening back to a program I really enjoyed. We heard from Dr. Bill Doherty, a marriage therapist and a professor at the University of Minnesota, and Helen Fisher. She's a biological anthropologist and a senior research fellow at the Kinsey Institute, as well as the chief science advisor to Match.com. Let's jump back into the discussion with a listener named Katie who called in from Sioux Falls. Here's Katie.
6: I've been married for almost 33 years. I was very young, so I was only 20 years old when I got married. And um, I do feel like I was prepared in one way in that I didn't have this idealized version of what a marriage would be. I was quite prepared that, you know, marriage was not going to be easy. I mean, that was something that was, you know, commonly discussed and like, my peer groups and household, I guess you could say. So I think that that did help me. I would say the second thing and something I was maybe less prepared for was, um, you know, when you're that young, you really change over the course of time. And I I found that was interesting, the, the level to which we had to adapt. Because as we changed as people, obviously our relationship and how our relationship was with one another and what we needed from one another had to adapt as well. And I think, you know, we, we did really good there. You know, we've been literally the poorest of the poor living in subsidized housing when we were first married. Now we, you know, have very high six year incomes and are able to, you know, have a lot of disposable income and do a lot of fun things. Um, and we've had two children, you know, going through empty nester to, you know, raising young kids and stuff. We, so we've been through a lot together, but a lot of, Adapting. We are both quite independent, so we do a lot of things together. But, you know, I love to travel abroad. I will take a two to three week vacation, you know, without him because he doesn't like to travel abroad. And Mm -hmm. um, I do think, as happy as we are, I do think that our happiness um, is only enhanced by our marriage. But internally, we are both. Independent, secure, and happy. If I was single, if something did happen to my husband, I know that I could also be um, happy on my own as well.
0: Mm. Katie and Sue Falls. Katie is winning. I, I feel I loved hearing uh, that story because I, I, I love giving people hope. Uh, what do you hear in, in, in her story, Bill?
2: Well, Katie, uh, that's inspiring to hear. And um, it's, it, Katie's marriage is the quintessential cornerstone marriage. They got mm-hmm. married young, they didn't have much uh they they build a life together uh, and um, and 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 they've raised their kids younger, so now they have more freedom. To, mm-hmm. She has more freedom. You know the downside of marrying in your thirties if you have children. Um, you know you're you're much older when when the kids leave home. But I want to underline a couple of things um, uh, that are really important for a success story like Katie's, uh, and that is uh, first is commitment. Uh, it just it just sounded rock solid. We're, we're here. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna make this work. Um, we're not looking elsewhere. Commitment, and then the, then the other thing for me is intentionality. In other mm-hmm. words, being mindful, You know, b- uh, b- building a relationship, knowing you're going to deal with differences, uh, and not taking the relationship for granted. Because if mm-hmm. you take your relationship for granted in the modern world, when everybody expects a lot out of marriage, and you settle for just sort of floating, you're at risk.
0: And what do you say to couples who are struggling? Because they've changed. Uh, the person they were at 20 is not the person they are at 40, but... Um, what happens there?
2: Well, the commitment uh, uh, to being with somebody for life uh, is commitment to being with them through the changes uh, and, and not being just stuck. Uh, so I don't buy the idea. It would be interesting to see what Helen thinks about this. Hel- but,
0: Helen, what are your thoughts? Someone- well, if I oh, go ahead finish and finish that. Okay. yeah.
2: So I, I work with a lot of couples on the brink of divorce. In fact, that's my specialty. Mm-hmm. I have something called discernment counseling for couples who are trying to decide whether to end the marriage or not. And when people say, well, we've grown apart, well, growing apart did not happen automatically. People made a lot of choices to not deal with their differences, and then they they drift apart. So uh, I think that people can manage, if they're intentional and mindful, they can manage how they change as they they grow older.
0: Have you seen uh, people who have drifted apart come back together?
2: Of course. Of course, because I don't think there's some pixie dust out there, you know, that goes away and then you drift apart. Drifting apart happens with a thousand decisions to not mm. not to to not connect, to not deal with conflict. It comes from many, many decisions. It's not an automatic process. So then it can be reversed. Yes. Wow, Helen.
1: Well, this is It is fascinating, and I agree entirely. I'll just give a little bit of anthropology here. Um, You know, for millions of years, we lived in these little hunting and gathering groups, and uh, women did and men did tend to have two or three long-term, well, I would call it marriages. We'd call it marriages today, but partnerships. I mean, you know, socially um, uh, recognized partnerships. They had two to three of them during the course of their lives. And they often had children by more than one of those partnerships, Creating more genetic variety in their young, and so I always when I'm in I wrote a whole book on this anatomy of love. Of why do we fall in love, form a partnership, and then divorce and get restless in a long term partnership? And there's all kinds of cultural reasons, as as Bill has outlined. But the bottom line is, uh, uh, for millions of years, it was probably adaptive. I'm not recommending it. Uh, probably adaptive to have more than one partner because those who did had children by more than one partner and uh, ended up creating more genetic variety in their young. So the human animal, human creature has evolved a tremendous drive to fall in love, form a partnership, and often uh, be restless in a long-term partnership, divorce, and and marry somebody else. So I'm not surprised that some of these people in long-term partnerships um, and do become restless and, and, and do grow apart. And of course, just like Bill said, they can work on it and, and get back together. But what's interesting about right now is for millions of the years, men and women were equals. Women commuted to, uh, to do their work, got, gathered their fruits and vegetables, came home with 60 to 80 percent of the evening meal, the double income was the family. And, uh, and, um, People could walk out if they wanted to because they were economically uh, uh, able to. Then we settled down on the farm, and on the farm, you can't walk out. You can't dig up half the wheat field and take (laughs) it out of town with you or cut the cow in half. So the bottom line is we evolved all these beliefs about virginity at marriage for the woman, um, a woman's place is in the home, uh, man is the head of the household, until death do us part. And before our very eyes... These basic agrarian farming credos are disappearing, and we're seeing more and more people, just as Bill said, in middle age, wondering, well, uh, could there be more to life? And certainly Katie's saying, but Katie's done it brilliantly. She's decided that she, and and her husband has too, he's obviously, um, it's okay with him that she goes off for two or three uh, weeks in Europe, and they've adapted, and the human animal is adaptive. We can remain in the same marriage and build a new marriage as the marriage extends. Mm.
0: Helen, you do uh, research with brain scans and love, and I want to know more about that. Um, what what happens in the brain when someone is in love, and, and what happens, what do you see when someone is experiencing heartbreak?
1: Yeah, it's a um, So, we're the first in the world to do that. In fact, when I wrote my first academic article, one of the peer reviewers said, you can't study love. It's part of the supernatural. And I thought to myself, wait a minute here. Anger's not part of the supernatural. Fear's not part of the supernatural. Why would love be part of the supernatural? So, anyway, um, (laughs) we've uh, done three major experiments. The first is people who were happily in love, put 17 of them into the brain scanner, and then 15 people who had just been rejected in love. That was very difficult. Uh, for everybody, these people are in terrible shape. And the last uh, experiment was people who were in their 50s and 60s, probably like Katie, uh, who are still in love with their partner. These people would walk into the lab and say, I am married for 21 years so far, and I'm still in not just loving, but in love with my partner. So we have proven that you can remain in love long term. Um, but you got to pick the right person. And you got to build a kind of marriage that enables you to be who you are and to build what you want in life. So um, what we ended up finding among those people who were happily in love, rejected in love, and in love long term is activity in a tiny little factory near the very base of the brain called the VTA or ventral tegmental area. It's a little brain region that pumps out dopamine, and it gives you that elation, the focus, the motivation, the craving, the obsessive thinking. Uh, uh, incredible motivation to win somebody uh, associated with intense feelings of romantic love. And this is a brain system that we all share. I mean, everywhere in the world, I mean, I read ancient poetry from the ancient Egyptians and the ancient Arabs and the ancient Chinese and Japanese and, and, and certainly American Indians, etc. Everybody loves. And, um,
3: so you can and, see it uh, in the brain. It's just
1: a basic brain system, and it's mm-hmm. a very important brain system. I'm, now, I've just started a research project about how to help people who are, have been rejected in love. I mean, people kill themselves, they kill others, they stalk, they slip into kin- clinical depression. And what we've re- discovered, and I'll stop here, is that um, romantic love is an addiction. The basic brain region linked with all of the addictions, substance addictions, behavioral addictions, becomes active. It's called the nucleus accumbens. It becomes active when you are madly in love, rejected in love, and even when you are in love long time. So it's a basic, primordial drive, and uh, and uh, and it's a blessing. By the way, I'm sure Bill knows this, but you know, good relationships are good for you <laughs> people in a good partnership live five to seven years longer uh, they are healthier uh, they end up collecting more money uh, they have more time to play together so it 's important what we 're talking about this fact of how to build a good partnership and and to
0: make it last have you seen that uh, bill
2: oh yeah it 's so clear it 's so clear and you know when we talk about um, uh, income inequality, um, social justice. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is something we don't talk about. That 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 when people are able to form a stable marriage, marriage type relationship, and raise their kids there, their life prospects are so much better in our society. We we. So this is, Helen's right, this isn't just a feel-good thing. This this represents people living happier, longer, raising their kids more successfully.
0: Let's take a phone call from a listener as we talk about marriage and divorce and the latest trends. What are your thoughts? Uh, what are your experiences in Hastings? Uh, let's talk to Julie, who is uh, on hold. Thank you for waiting. Julie, what do you want to tell us?
3: Yes, good morning. I've Hi. been listening from the beginning. Um, I think your two guests really glossed over, and, and maybe you'll speak to it more, uh, the friend of gray divorce and that is myself after you know a quarter century uh kids were grown they were off to college and we got married in our early 30s and and it was well thought out uh finances were never an issue we were both college educated but you know people do grow apart but as well there are uh many unacknowledged substance abuse issues and uh, things that you just don't want to look at. You don't go there while you're busy raising a family, at least for the women. And uh there's a reason why I, I believe that more women are rated as less satisfied with life, married women, than men. Uh and there's a reason why grade divorce is initiated by women by a you know a, a much higher percentage. Uh and it's I was telling your 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 uh, that uh it's ironic my elderly father who's no longer with us he was married and divorced twice and he was always looking for a third wife and i used to say to him dad what do you bring to the table (laughs) yeah uh if she doesn't really need your money she's been there done that you know you may not be getting married a third time so julie i have a question
0: you're divorced now after 25 years of marriage are you dating and how is that going
3: Uh, I tried online very briefly. Uh, uh, There's a lot of misrepresenting, and I just concluded (laughs) I'm happy on my own. And like your previous guest, I travel solo Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I did while I was married. Uh, I got a job that I was working evenings, and then I'd go to our cabin alone. And after a point, I I, I had to ask myself, you know, why... (laughs) Why am I even in this marriage? I think it was my adult running away. Like, I could do this, like, permanently and not take a huge financial hit. And uh, there's Mm -hmm. a saying among older women, uh, the men out there online or wherever you meet them, older men, they're looking for a nurse or a purse.
0: I've heard this. And I've heard this, Julie.
3: Many of us are not going there, not jumping back into <laughs> that kettle of fish. And so it's ironic. Well, Julie, that I want to hear from our guests on this. I was given my father. I want to, uh, I want to hear from our
0: guests, Julie, on this. Uh, uh, Helen, what are, what are you hearing what Julie is describing about dating now after being uh, married and now divorced for, um, you know, for after married for 25 years and now divorce and uh, dating. Um, she says that uh, later in life, uh, people are looking for a purse or a nurse. I've heard this.
1: I have never heard that. That's very, really, that's really it good. It rhymes. Well, first of all, um, uh, people, uh, b- uh, baby boomers, uh, uh, only 19% of them are interested in remarrying. Um, and all the, my girlfriends who are not married, they basically say, well, I'm not really looking, but if I find the right person, I'd love to have a romance um, but not the marriage. And more, more than likely, I mean, when you marry, when you're older, it's going to complicate things for inheritance, uh, mm-hmm. for your children, et cetera. But mm-hmm. most people, if the right person came along or the almost right person came along, that brain circuitry would 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 click in. Uh, I mean, romantic love it's like a sleeping cat. It can bing, be opened. You know, it can be triggered almost instantly. So a great many older older people, I think, uh, uh, who have divorced uh, when they're older, and I'm not surprised for that. Uh, they want a new life, they want more, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I think that a lot of them, if they if if it if it comes upon them, they would uh, form another partnership. But you know, she was saying something that's interesting. Women are the picky sex uh, throughout the life course. Women are the picky sex for good Darwinian reasons. For millions of years, they they not only had to. Deliver the child, but spend a good deal more time in the daily uh, um, uses of, of, of raising the child. I mean men went out and haunted that was pretty dangerous and had to support the family and protect the family. but women would did the daily chores of raising the baby twenty four seven and um, I do think that when that is over, uh, you know I mean women are picky, you know all of my data and i 've got data on sixty thousand Americans. Uh, We don't understand men. Men fall in love faster than women do. They fall in love more often than women do. When they find a woman that they uh, are in love with, they introduce them to friends and family sooner. They want to move in sooner. Uh, They have more intimate intimate conversations with their partners than women do. Women have their intimate conversations with their girlfriends, Mm -hmm. and men are two and a half times more likely to kill themselves when a relationship is over. So men actually are the fragile sex. I'm not surprised that they might be looking for a nurse or a purse. A lot of them, I think, are just looking for fun and companionship, just as as Bill said, if they want self fulfillment and they think they're going to get it from a woman
0: and Helen, as the chief science advisor to match dot com what do you do and, and what impact has has online dating had on all of, of what we're seeing now with marriage and divorce
1: It's so interesting I mean first of all, what do I, well, first of all i I did huge studies on the, the biology of personality and why you're drawn to one person rather than another. that's mm-hmm. what my next book is on. But the bottom line is what I do now for the last 12 years is doing this Singles in America study. We now have data on 60,000, every age, every background, uh, every, um, you know, ages 18 to 71 plus, rural, suburban, urban, black, white, Asians, Latino, et cetera, et cetera. So we've got a real uh, touch, a real feel for what's going on. And what's interesting about it is every year – And not only ask what you're looking for, and Bill is absolutely right. They want self-fulfillment. Only 16% of women are looking for money. Uh, But what's interesting to me is there was a recent study out of the University of Chicago that said that if you meet somebody on the Internet as opposed to off the Internet, anywhere on the Internet, um, you're less likely to divorce. And I thought to myself, what difference would that make? What difference if you meet him in a in a restaurant, if you meet him in the hotel lobby, if you meet him in a anywhere, what what difference would it make? So I did my own study of five thousand singles, not matched members, looking at people who met on the internet as opposed to off the internet. And as it turns out, people who date on the meet people on the internet instead of off the internet are more likely to be fully employed, more likely to be higher educated and more likely to be interested in a long-term committed partnership. Mm. And that's where we are going today. 40% of singles today met their last first date on the Internet. Only 25% met through a friend, and less than 10% met in, in church uh, uh,
0: um, in school, and Helen, work, I, I'm uh, sorry to interrupt you here, but I just want to give uh, Bill a final
2: thought here as we're running out of time. Yeah, and I just want. Thank uh, you. So it, it's been a pleasure, and let me <laughs> just say, and Julie, I appreciate Julie's openness about her situation. I just want to add a couple things. Okay, um, she she mentioned substance abuse in there. Okay, and so there are sometimes reasons why people end the marriage when th- their partner is really quite dysfunctional. Let's mm-hmm. let's be aware of that. And secondly, we're in an era now where there is help available for for couples who are struggling in their marriage. In a way that it was not available before. And I think we need to evolve an ethic, and hopefully Julie did get help, where you get help before you end a marriage because you carry yourself into the next relationship. I always say you can't divorce yourself.
0: That's a great closing thought. Get get help. Help is available. That was Bill Doherty a marriage therapist and a professor in the Department of Family Social Science there at the University of Minnesota. And my other guest for the hour was Helen Fisher, a biological anthropologist and senior research fellow at the Kinsey Institute. Helen is also the chief science advisor to Match.com. We've been listening back to a show about the latest trends in marriage and divorce. This conversation was produced by Matt Alvarez. Be safe, everybody. We'll talk again tomorrow morning at nine. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.